So as I've, I've reflected on this this morning, I, um, I resisted talking about some of the things because I don't often feel qualified. I'm not a social scientist. I'm not a this, that, and the other. I'm a, I'm a theologian, I hope, but to some extent. But as I've thought about it and prayed about it and spoke to a couple of this morning, I thought, I'd like for us to think about maybe how God can guide us in some of our conversations in the coming week and days. I don't know about you, but I, I have felt a heaviness in my heart the last few days. Somewhat so, uh, similar to somewhat what, the way I felt when the Murrah bombing happened. Just this heavy, deep sense of sorrow. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if you came to church today to say, you know, I, I don't ever want to be guilty of trying to take on, you know, uh, current issues just as a kind of, you know, being a current issue guy. At the same time, as I prepared and studied, I thought, I just feel like I'm avoiding some things. You know, it's almost like nothing happened this week. Let's turn to John 15. Some things did happen this week. And uh, so I've got a sheet of paper here. We may get, you, I, I, I was a little hurt the way Terry talked about me not ever getting out on time. <laughs> you may get out way ahead of time today. In, in our conversations in the coming week and in the coming days, I, I want to ask you to consider a, a few principles. I'm, I'm not getting into the, to the weeds on this. I don't, I'm not qualified. But biblically, I'd like for you to think about some of the things that we ought to remember as we talk to other people, as we listen, as we are engaged in this time in our country. So I'm, you can write on that piece of paper. I'm not going through it, I don't think. Becky said, well, just do this. And I said, I don't know that I can do them both. So here's, here's what I'm going to go. I think that one of the things the Bible teaches me, anytime these, some of these kind of matters occur, and let me say outset, uh, uh, one of the things that I recognize in the, in the New Testament, if you think race relationships in America are bad, you should go back and study relationships between Gentiles and Jews in the first century. You, 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 you need to understand something. Uh, this, this gospel was not set in a place where everybody got along. A Jew prayed every day. They woke up, Lord, I thank you that you did not create me a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. Every day. Uh, so there isn't any, any sense in which uh, this is new in the sense of God's people have had to figure out how do we deal with some of these conflicts and difficulties? Now, this is going to seem elementary to many of you, but let me just say, in our conversations with others, in our discussions, in our times, I'd like for you, number one, to remember that we need to recognize that we're all one race. It's called the human race. It's Genesis 1. From one person God created, or Adam, if you will. That word there, Adam, or Adamah, means from the ground. God created Human beings from the dirt. So we really are dust in the wind in some ways. <laughs> that we need to recognize that this is the human race. And that there are, is this commonality between us. That we share this planet and we share this world. That we are part of the human race. And there are people that want to divide us. There are people that want to bother us. And we are not, if we're not careful, 
we'll fall in the same trap. We need to look upon people, if you will, as our brothers and sisters in creation. Hear that now. Not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but brothers and sisters in creation. We were created from one, if you will, piece of dirt. We were created in in that regard to be able to be part of that. So I I, I want to remember that. I want to remember that we're part of the human race where we share this. The, The other thing apart that is that every person you meet, every person you meet is created in the image of God. You know that, right? They're creating the image of God, no matter how marred you might imagine, no matter how affected by that. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that in his image, God created them, male and female, created in the image of God. I'm I'm always amused what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said that if you could really see a human being as they really are, you might fall down and worship them. Think about that. That if you could really see a human being in the way they really are, you might fall down and worship them. Because they're created in God's image. You know what? We don't remember that sometimes. We, we see the image that people give us by their behavior and by their actions, don't we? And it repulses us or it attracts us. Created in the image of God. No person can ever lose their value. Ever. Because our value is associated with being created in the image of God. Is that the way you see people? Is that the way I see people? They may be bearing it in a way that is repulsive to me, or they may be bearing it in a way that is attractive to me, but every human being is created in the image of God and has value and worth. We've got to remember that in our conversations. There's one race. We're all created in the image of God. Another thing I think we we should recognize is, uh, say it for any other way, uh, uh, is this. And I want to ask if you'll turn to Acts 6, and we're going to look at a couple things, and then Galatians 2. I think that we need to recognize at times, as followers of Jesus, we still have bias. We might even call it prejudice. It's, I think it's naive for us to, say, to enter into conversations and think, well, we're just neutral. Because we believe people are created in the image of God and we believe people are from the human race. That doesn't preclude the fact that sometimes it seems that in our naivete that we're not aware that there are biases in us. And there are... Look look at Acts 6. You know the story perhaps. If you don't, it's okay. That when the early church begins... When the early church begins, they, they start out, you know, things are great, 5,000, 3,000 people are saved, and Jesus has been resurrected, it's wonderful. But what happens? The first conflict in the early church is over bias. See, you've got these real Jews, <laughs> I'm calling that, real Jews, widows, and you have the Hellenistic Jews. They're, they're, they're Gentiles who become Jews, so they're not quite Jews, you know. They're not the full-blooded Jew. And as a consequence of that, the scripture tells us that they begin to get passed over in the daily distribution of food. Interesting, huh? The Holy Spirit's come. These people have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And here you see a bias that begins very early. 
It doesn't preclude that because people are filled with the Spirit. It doesn't preclude because people have experienced this wonderful matter on Pentecost that they're suddenly now removed of any bias. I think it's important for us as we enter into conversations that we not be so naive that we think we don't have any biases, right? We do. We have biases. If we're not careful, our history, our background, our experiences will lead us to those biases and to operate in that way. Here we see early on in the church, they were neglecting them. So here it says that, that, they, that, they were, uh, that they were neglecting or the native uh, Hebrews, they were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. So you know what happened? They summoned the congregation together and they said, let's select seven men. This time that's kind of the way it worked. Who are full of the Spirit. See, it took Holy Spirit infilling to distribute food. <laughs> Think about that in the early church. What are the qualifications to pass out lunch? <laughs> wow. You know, if you're going to pass out lunch around here, you're going to be filled with the Spirit because of we know the natural bias that the, if you will, the full Jews have against, have against the Hellenistic Jews. It's fascinating. This was the first real conflict in the church and the first one that threatened the vitality of it. Is it going to become just a reflection of the culture? Or is it going to be prophetic and live differently? Let me say this on the sidebar on this. Again, I don't have any hardly notes, so I'm just telling you what to think, okay? I want to say this. The church of Jesus Christ has a role in our culture, and it is always to be prophetic, to speak to the values of the kingdom of God, to speak to the values of the kingdom of God. Now, I, we'll look at some of this in, in some other ways, but, but here we see this. Now, so you say, well, you know, that's early in the life of the church and they're not having any problem. They're having some problem. They'll work it out. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. This uh, event is somewhere in the neighborhood of 15, could be 18 years after Pentecost. Okay? 15, maybe 18. Galatians was written about 50 AD. Uh, so this event is, you know, somewhere in that territory. So Peter, who's one of the main actors, has experienced, if you will, the power of the Holy Spirit for somewhere in the range of 15 years. Notice here, in chapter 2, Paul's, Paul's writing here, and when Cephas came to Antioch, now Antioch became kind of a second uh, distribution point for the church. Uh, started in Jerusalem, Antioch really becomes the place that they begin to start going to the Gentiles. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, if you have a, a study Bible there and, and you look at that, uh, you might know that the Greek word here is anathema. It is not a light word. It is to be damned. Uh, we can figure that all out in salvation history like that. But, but this word is no minor term. It is that he is condemned or damned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when the Gentiles came, 
he would withdraw and hold himself aloof. In other words, when the Jews came to town, he'd eat with them. But when the Gentiles came, I'm, I'm sorry, when the, it's backwards, he would eat with the Gentiles in Antioch. But when James brought Jews with him to Antioch, he wouldn't eat with them. Not going to have table fellowship. Look at that. But I saw that they were not straightforward about the gospel. And I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? This is an event that is staggering on its face from the standpoint that Peter, who has preached the, the gospel and preached the great message at Pentecost, if you will, after 15 years of living like that, is still got biases. Does that shock you? See, here's again where our naivete comes in. We think that these kind of things just kind of drain out if we're walking with Jesus or loving him. We, I think, have to recognize, if you will, this matter that this naivete about bias. I asked myself a question this week. I don't know the answer to it yet. I'm still, I'm still struggling with it. Um, and, and, I, and I asked the Holy Spirit to check me and dig in. Um, my grandmother uh, lived, used to uh, live about uh, 60 mi- uh, no, say about 20 miles east of Dallas, a little, little place called Rock, uh, uh, Roy City. And uh, smallest county in Texas. And... Uh, so I, I remember every summer we used to go to Dallas all the time. So Dallas has kind of been a neat, neat town for us. We've always uh, uh, spent time there. I'm like you. Whenever I heard about what had happened in Dallas, uh, I moved, broken. And uh, when I saw the prayer service uh, the other day, I was just amazed. Christian, Jew, Muslim, calling people to pray, calling people together. But here's the question I asked myself. I'm asking me now, I'm just telling you. Was I as moved on Tuesday when two people were killed in Louisiana and Minnesota? I don't know the details on it. We're letting that work its way out. Was I as moved by the death of those two men? Now, maybe you'd say, well, by the sheer number, you know, five executed six or seven wounded. Certainly, I mean, the sheer number made it have some more weight. But I asked myself as a follower of Jesus, was I as troubled on Tuesday as I was on Friday? Is there bias, Cliff, in you? Is one or two less important than five? Is Someone who you may disagree with the way they live and the way they act. I'm just saying, I think in our conversations, we ought to consider, is there bias here? Am I willing to lean into that? That I wasn't, or was I? I mean, I'm, I'm asking the Spirit to, to dig down deep and, and go down deep in me and to say, Cliff, were you as troubled on Tuesday as you were on Friday? You know what? Some of our friends were. have experienced that before. 
they were real troubled. And, I, and I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm not trying to draw equivalency. I'm not trying to, to say they're, they're all the same. I, there's difficulties here. But I've been trying to find, is there bias in my own heart and in my own soul? Do I value certain others differently? Here's a third thing. I, uh, I love the passage in Romans 12. We'll look at it here in a second. Um, there's, a, there's a principle that I, I had to learn years ago when Becky and I got married. Uh, well, several of them. Uh, yeah, I'm still learning, obviously. Hey, I mowed the yard this week, so back off. I've been sleeping in every morning, brushing my teeth at three in the afternoon, you know. Too much information, I know. Yeah, but you know, when Becky and I first got married, uh, whenever she came to me with an issue, I thought my job as a guy is what? Fix it, right? Let's fix it. We'll take care of that right now. Uh, intuitively, I knew that wasn't working real well. <clears throat> uh, and, and I think it's a tendency for guys, you know, we, we want to fix it. And uh, I just thought, just tell me what it is. I'll fix it. We'll go on. Uh, but I learned through some uh, training in marriage counseling a thing called attunement. It's a really important principle, attunement. And it's a biblical idea. Uh, years ago, again, here's an illustration. Uh, my dad had this crazy idea when I was in the eighth grade that I should be in the band uh, and play an instrument. And I wanted to play the drums. And he had more brains than that. <laughs> you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, or I wanted to play the trombone, a manly instrument, you know. He said the clarinet. <laughs> and I said, Dad, they're all girls. Well, that's a good way to meet girls, you know. <laughs> but all my buddies made fun of me. <clears throat> anyway, when we used to get ready to practice, we had a little, <clears throat> I don't know what it's called, we had a machine where we tuned up, where you played, to put it on, you know, middle C, and then you played your instrument and that little needle, and you had to adjust until you got it tuned up. Tuned up. Uh, it's an interesting thing. I, I, remember, I remember doing it. I remember uh, uh, practicing uh, before to make sure that I had uh, my clarinet uh, there. I, when I got in the, the ninth grade in high school, I had this terrible habit of breaking all my reeds before practice and said to my band director, can't play today. Okay, go to study hall. It was better than playing with a clarinet. Um, in Romans chapter 12, the idea of, uh, of this. Romans chapter 12. I think I'm in the right place here. Losing my mind, I think. Here we go. I'll find it. Help me back. She's... It's the verse, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. 12, 15. I, I know I'm looking. There it is. It's right in front of me. Yeah. 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What I learned as a husband through this seminar I went to on attunement was this, that when Becky came to me and said something was wrong, I would say, 
that makes me feel sad. I'm sorry that's happening to you. How does that make you feel? What I learned was she didn't need an answer from me. She didn't need me to fix it. She needed me to attune. And I found out in my life that a lot of times I didn't do that well. I I think Christians even do this sometimes. When somebody's going through a difficult time, it's sad, it's bad, there's tragedy. We go, well, you know, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. You know, if you'll, you'll just hang in there, that's not attuning. What I learned was when somebody comes to you and tells you something difficult or bad, you enter in. I can't imagine how that makes you feel. I'm sorry that that's happened. I, I don't know your pain, but, but I can somehow sense it. You know, what I learned was if I would do that and attune, not try to fix it, not try to give her a scripture, not try to, 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 to pull her out of the, the, the mud and say, well, you know, all things work together for good. You know, I'll never leave her for sake. You know, those are good verses. What I need to do was attune to her and then the next day come back and say, you know, back after thinking about what we talked about, I, I have something I'd like to share with you. Here's a verse that might help. I'm going to tell you something, guys. If you're like me, you need to practice this <laughs> with your wife, with your kids. It's called attunement. You know, the scripture tells us, weep with those who weep. Quit explaining it. Quit trying to say why it happened. Quit trying to give everybody a definition and how it could be fixed. Would to God that people would know that as followers of Jesus, when tragedy occurs and things happen, we don't start trying to fix it. It's a place for that later, right? But to attune to people, to be willing to attune to them and to say, it must be terrible to feel the way you feel about this situation or this circumstance. I don't know what it's like. I don't live where you live. I haven't had that experience. Uh, I teach my students this. uh, uh, Counselors tell us this. That if a person is telling you about a problem, if you're a, even, you know, if you're a professional counselor, or you're just a friend. If they have the sense that you want to understand and you want to help, that's what makes the difference. Not that you can, but that you want to, that you desire to. How can I help? And so I've seen this in my marriage with my wife. My goodness, it it opened a whole new avenue now to our relationship. You know what? Becky started coming to me more often. (laughs) I don't know why that happened. You know, like when I was a pastor, somebody come to me and say, you know, when I do this, it's bad. I say, well, stop it. (laughs) And it fixed them because they never came back. (laughs) It was perfect. Perfect. I'm just, I would recommend it. You know, your wife, just stop it. Quit doing that. What I discovered was that whenever I attuned to Becky and listened to her and tried to enter, I'm trying to tune up to her. It's like that. I'm trying to tune up to her. She came more often. You know, people think we've already got an answer for them. They may not want an answer right now. They just may want someone to listen and attune to them. 
Guys, I, I, I just think in my life, your life, most of us have a hard time attuning to some of the realities, some of the issues of the inner city. Because we don't live there. When Becky and I went to San Antonio, I spoke at the International Youth Convention, and I'm writing MapQuest a rotten letter how they got us lost. <clears throat> I'm telling you. Siri's an idiot. <clears throat> she didn't understand me. And MapQuest doesn't know they're hitting my hole in the ground. <laughs> By the way, the thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across this community church, its elders, or leadership. We were going to go to Papado's. Because there's one in, da in San Antonio. You know, whoo hoo. Got to go to Papado's. And we get the MapQuest thing, and we've driven in, you know, uh, uh, from Oklahoma. And, I, you know, I have a really good sense of direction, but well, I was feeling weird about this. Oh, this doesn't feel right. And this thing took us to the east side of San Antonio, Texas, in an industrial district by the Inner city, where a buddy of mine told me, you better be glad you weren't there yesterday. There was a riot there yesterday because the people in that community are saying the police are not coming in here to protect us. Have you driven around the inner city lately? Have you seen what some people have to deal with? I'm not suggesting you got to go today. Or you have to go. I'm just, I'm just saying, let, let's just be honest here. We don't really know what's going on in a lot of places. We don't. And we don't know the pressure that people are under. We don't know the pressure police officers are under. I mean, none of us do. Let's just be honest. Let, let's quit being an armchair quarterback and say, oh, I know, blah, blah. You don't know. I don't know. Don't have a clue. But can we attune to people? I, I was trying to get on my computer. This Mac still drives me nuts. I would ask you to go to uh, to the internet, uh, go to uh, uh, YouTube or whatever. I wept as I saw this picture yesterday. The Salem Baptist Church in Chicago, an all African-American church, met outside the Chicago Police Department. And as those police officers came out, they stopped them, laid their hands on them, and prayed for them. You need to Google it. It's called the Salem Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. Hundreds of people, African-American people, laying their hands and praying for police officers. We, we just got to quit being naive. This is tough stuff. And I fear that if we don't face some of these things in our own conversations with people, we're going to get sucked right into trying to fix it with our little armchair ideas. Attunement. Could you say to a family whose loved one was killed in a police altercation, you know, guy should have Whatever, whatever you think it happened. But to say, that's sad. That man was created in the image of God. He's part of the human race. And he has value. And if I can't weep over that, something's wrong with me. 
if I've gotten so removed from the suffering and difficulty of people, and not anything wrong with my culture, there's something wrong with me. I, I said this before in this class. Show, America needs Jesus. No, you need Jesus. America doesn't need Jesus. We need him. It's not America, this conglomeration. It's us. We need him. You'd study church history. And I recommend that you do. Many times in the Roman Empire, when things occurred, when things happened, the church stood up and spoke up. And one of the great experiences of the plague, when, when things occurred, uh, you know, it, it, we discovered that, that, that when everybody else was leaving, when people experienced the plague in Europe in that time, that Christians went in to care for the sick, knowing that they might die. I, I'm just going to tell you something. As I've reflected on some of these things, I just wonder how much Jesus that I have in me. How much of him do I have in me? To attune, to be alert, to be caring. Fourth thing or whatever it is, I don't know what it is. In Matthew 12, there's a fascinating statement about Jesus. <clears throat> In Matthew 12, these again are just some principles I'm just asking you to think about as you talk. There's one race. We're all created in the image of God. We need to attune to people. We need to recognize there's bias in our lives if we're not careful. Listen to these words in Matthew 12, beginning of verse 18. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out. I want you to notice the, I don't, maybe the word passive is not the right word, but the gentleness. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the street. A battered reed he won't even break. And a smoldering wick, that's, you know, those little candles, he won't put out, what? Until he leads Justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Folks, Jesus is for justice wherever it needs to be applied. Wherever. Notice, though, his methodology. It isn't violence. It isn't hatred. It isn't even raising his voice. But he is determined, determined to seek justice. I don't want to be part of a generation that said it's okay to do this for this group, but not for that group. Justice. Remember Micah, the great verse, what does the Lord require of you but to seek justice? Walk humbly before your God. This whole notion, I, I, I would recommend, if you haven't before, I recommend that you read a book. Imagine that. I recommend that you read Martin Luther King's book, Strength to Love. Strength to Love. It is a masterpiece. You know, I, I am glad on Twitter 
Some of y'all have your grandkids tell you what that is. <laughs> I'm glad on Twitter, man, that's, you know, uh, going wild. The people are quoting Martin Luther King that says, you cannot drive out darkness with darkness. You cannot defeat hate with hate. That man, as a follower of Jesus, you have all kinds of opinions about it. I'm not here to defend him or I'm not here to prosecute him. That man was a moral force in our world. The thing I love about Martin Luther King is when he decided to not move or to protest and he got arrested, he didn't cry about it. He said, this is my plot. He didn't cry and whine about it. He's a man of incredible dignity and character. Seek justice. This is what Jesus seeks. He's going to seek justice. You know, I'm always amused. This idea of justice about, you know, us being on God's side. Go back and read in Joshua in chapter 2, you know, whenever to get ready to go in the promised land. You know, this is, this is a problem we have. I'm just going to say we have somehow, if we're not careful, we've conflated the American reality with Christianity. They're, they're not the same. I, I know you know that, but they're not. That uh, in Joshua, when they get ready to go to battle, he goes out to pray and he sees this huge angel with a sword on. And he says, I'm gonna pray. he says it this way. He says, are you on our side or theirs? Go read his response. I am the angel of the Lord. You know what? We better get on God's side. It isn't our side or their side. Abraham Lincoln made that same statement, you know, in his great inaugural duress. Would to God that we are on his side. Instead of saying God's on our side. You see, seeking justice. Like Jesus did in a, in a way that... Doesn't quarrel in the street necessarily. I'm not, I'm not making any statement about street things. I, I, I'm just simply saying that violence, everybody agrees. There's nowhere to go. A smoldering wick he will not put out. How do we do that? How do we seek justice? I think we got to know what's going on. I know my life is somewhat removed from some of the realities of our world. Aren't you? I mean, I, you know, I... I, I, I make every day when I go home, I make sure that when my car goes in the garage, as soon as it's in, I hit the button for the garage door to go down. I'm a great neighbor. <laughs> what am I saying? Hey, leave me alone, man. I got stuff to do. Right? I, I want to just give you an illustration or idea here about this idea of seeking justice. That we would be willing, like Jesus, not quarrelsome, not battering the reeds, not, not putting out the lights, but leading justice and be willing to stand up for it wherever we find it. Wherever. Our friends, our quote-unquote enemies. How do we do that? Well, here, here's an idea. And I don't, I don't and remember, I wrote this down last night this morning. It reminded me, though, of a, a story in a thing called Plato's Dialogues. Plato, you know, not Pluto. <laughs> I was down at Disney the other day, but... <laughs> Plato <clears throat> wrote a book called uh, Dialogues, and 
He tells the story about a person who comes to understand truth. What are they like? He said, what's, what it is, is our world is like a bunch of people in a cave. It's called the parables of the caves. You maybe read it in, in college or sometime. Parable of the caves. We're all sitting at, 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 facing a cave. There's a big fire behind us. And we're all chained in. And the people behind us are passing by, you know, a rock. And of course, you know how a fire distorts things. A tree. And that's what a tree looks like. So a person who comes to understand reality is a person that somebody in that thing gets them, unchains them, and takes them outside. And, you know, the light just blinds them. And then the person gets walked around and says, here's what a tree really looks like. This is what a rock really looks like. This is, this is what a donkey really looks like. And then the person who has come to reality willingly goes back to the cave and sits down by those folks, chains himself back up and says, now let me tell you what that really looks like. Let, let, me, let me tell you what that really looks like. When I read that in, in school years ago, I thought, that's the Jesus way. If we know anything, if we understand anything, to sit with people and to be with people and to not, in some sense, stay out, and let them figure it out on their own. That was a moving moment for me when I realized that Plato understood some of this kind of incarnational understanding of in our discussions with people. Maybe we need to sit with people and listen. Sit with them and listen. Instead of saying, hey, I'm out, I'm free, I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm not going back to that cave. Do you have any friends you can sit with and say, tell me your story. Tell me your experience. <clears throat> Help me understand why you act the way you do. Tell me you under why you think the way you do. Help me understand what's happened. I've told you about a student I had uh, some years ago. It was an older student. You know, you always wonder, why are they back in school? You know? I mean, this person was like 55. Which sounds young now to me, actually. <laughs> She's getting younger all the time. <clears throat> Her name was Gladys. <clears throat> and Gladys drove me nuts. Every time I saw Gladys, she had to tell me something she learned. Now look, I'm all for learning. But leave me alone. <laughs> okay? Go, go drop that knowledge on somebody else. Every time I saw her, I mean, it, 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 oh, it was just, oh my, oh, I'm telling you, this how shallow I am. I would see her once in a while, I'd go down that hall, you know, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> she drove me crazy. And, and it was the, some of the most inane stuff. It's like, you, you know, I've been to the seminary, right? And I kind of already knew this. Well, one day, somehow she got in my office and I couldn't get her out. <laughs> it was one of those 
moments, you know, hit the light. <laughs> we just started talking and I said, Gladys, tell me about yourself. Because I already know everything you know. <clears throat> it couldn't be possibly anything else in your brain that you haven't told me. So she started talking. And she said to me, Cliff, when I was about 12 years old, both of my parents were killed in a car wreck. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, <clears throat> my aunt and uncle uh, took me in because <clears throat> I didn't know where else to go. They had a farm. And uh, <clears throat> they didn't really want me, but the family kind of pressed them. And so they worked me like hired help. And they were pretty rigid, religiously and relationally. And she said, <clears throat> when, when, <clears throat> when I would do something wrong, they'd always punish me. And uh, <clears throat> they would send me to my room or something like that and wouldn't feed me. Hmm. And then they found out, I know these people are dead because they want to be finding their number and finding the police. <laughs> said they found out <clears throat> that I was deathly afraid of snakes. Now, this is crazy. It said, <clears throat> when I disobeyed or did something wrong, they made me stay in the barn at night by the grain bin, by the snakes. From that day on, every time she wanted to talk to me, I was all ears. I thought, how could a little girl go through that and not lose her mind? How could a little girl go through that and not be an axe murderer? How could a little girl go through that kind of trauma of losing her parents and having these crazy relatives to try to scare the living daylights out of her? How could that happen? You know what? Everything changed when we sat and talked. I'll tell you one more story and I'll shut up. <clears throat> Sort of. <clears throat> had an African-American student years ago <clears throat> who uh, <clears throat> I just met. He was in my classes. And they call me Captain Compassion. And I tell him, if you don't understand irony, you're going to have trouble with me. <laughs> I don't give grades. I record them. <laughs> and so <clears throat> as the semester was going along, he's a really nice young man. I, you know, we laughed, talked every once in a while. And uh, <clears throat> his grade was <clears throat> doing some stuff. And uh, he came to see me and he said... Uh, I didn't get credit for such and such. And we have, an, we have a, a website where people can uh, uh, submit papers and, and reading reports. It's really neat. I can grade like anywhere I am because I can get electronically on there. So <clears throat> I, he said, uh, I didn't get I said, well, let's go look at it. So we looked. I said, well, you didn't turn it in. Oh, yeah, I did. I said, now look, <laughs> this electronic box would tell me when you were here and when you turned it in. You didn't turn Yes, I did. Look, <clears throat> let me explain something to you. And he said, oh, I see how it is. You guys are always right. And I said, sit down. <clears throat> I did. I got an outside voice. <clears throat> sit down. Listen to me. I don't know what professors did to you before, but I'm wrong often. I make mistakes. I'm willing to own that. I'm your friend. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to... So we talked. 
You know what his experience was? You ever had those professors? They're always right. You're always wrong. They never do anything wrong. His experience was such that we had to sit and talk about it. You know what? Once I understood that, I said, what do you want to do with your life? He had all these goals and dreams. And I said, maybe I can help you. He wanted to be in dental in the area. I said, maybe I can help. A friendship developed. A relationship started. He blew out at me because of his experience. He had had professors who had treated him like dirt. You're an idiot. I'm the professor. That's too bad. It's an asymmetrical relationship. We've all had that, haven't we? What if you had that often? Seek justice. How do we do that? Let's sit with some people and let them tell us their story. I don't know how your week's going to go. I don't know how mine's going to go. I know there are people who want to talk about this. I know people are talking about this. I know people are going to get on either side of this thing and going to demand us to get on one side or the other. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm going to seek justice. The person I follow, his name is Jesus. And I'm going to try to follow some of these principles in my conversations. I hope you don't mind me doing this today. Uh, I just, in my own soul, I'm doing a lot of searching. Our country has real problems. And it isn't because America is going to find Jesus. It's going to be because we find him. And we embody him in our interactions, in our daily life. And it may press some of us out of our comfort zone. And it may force some of us to establish some relationships with people. And it may cause us to do a little more listening than talking. And it may cause us to have to be known as people of the Jesus way. Not any particular political stripe or political group, but the Jesus way. Now, there there are probably lots of other principles here that would be helpful. You maybe know them. Well, let's put them on Facebook as we, the, the, the class Facebook page. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we need you in so many ways, in our own lives, in our country's life, as we interact with people, as we talk to people, as we listen to their story, would you help us? You said that we're to be salt and light. There's a whole lot of fire, but not a lot of light. There's a whole lot of rot going on in our world that needs the salt. Would you help us in the coming days to be people who are guided by some of these principles and others as we have conversations with Jesus and as we have conversations with each other in these coming days? Guide us, we pray, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.